Sisters, we are in Amos chapter 8, and we have come to the place of the last vision that Amos has before the destruction of Israel. It's important to differentiate between Israel and Judah at this time. Judah is the tribe of Judah and Jerusalem and the Levites, and Israel are the northern ten tribes that separated after the son of Solomon, Jeroboam, had split from the kingdom and took the northern ten tribes and established a different tabernacle, if you will, a place of worship in Bethel and set up cows and calves to worship. Amos was sent to come prophesy against Israel, who happened to be at this time very affluent, doing quite well, thank you, making a lot of money, being blessed in all the good things of life. And in their blessing, they had forgotten God. And in their blessing, their worship became perverted. Oh, they sang the songs of Zion. They sang the songs of Israel and God, but not properly and in the right heart and in the right spirit. They, become, they became very unjust, trampling on the poor, not caring for them, only caring for their own needs and their own selfish ways. Amos came and he began to declare the woes and prophecies against them. And as he did this, he also had visions and he saw the judgment of God coming. He saw locusts coming and he interceded on their behalf and God relented. He saw fire coming of the judgment of God that was necessary and essential for holiness and righteousness to war against that which is unjust and evil. How many of you want evil to persist? Anybody here want evil to persist? Let me stop for a minute and let me ask that. Does anybody here want evil to persist? Then, then why do people have a problem with the judgment of God? I mean, we want it both ways. We want God to judge those who are evil but not mess with us. And there's something wrong in that. God's judgment is righteous and just. And so when He brings judgment, what we pray for is, God, we can't handle it. And so thank God we pray for mercy. We pray for grace. And He sent the greatest grace and mercy He could. He came Himself in Christ and died for us. That we would not have to take the judgment if we would come in under the blood of Jesus. Well, Israel would not relent, would not repent, would not get right with God, and so finally God held His plumb line, His perfection of holiness in the city, and there was nothing that was straight or correct. It was all perverse or crooked. The church is to be the plumb line in our society today, and to declare, thus saith the Lord, and that which is accurate and that which is true, it's a dangerous job, how many of you know that? The world doesn't want to line up next to you because they're offended that you would present what is true and right because it makes them look crooked and perverse. And so they want you to be quiet, and that's exactly what happened to Amos. Do you remember that? They said, You shut up, get lost. Finally, God said, no, you cannot relent. I cannot stop any longer. The plumb line has proven it. I am just and I am right. I'm bringing judgment. 
and he utterly destroyed Israel, Assyria came and dispersed that nation to the winds. We know that that's coming because the fourth and final vision is here in Amos chapter 8, and it begins like this. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, and then he goes on to explain the day of judgment for Israel. And so God was patient and patient and sent Amos and other prophets to speak to Israel to repent and get right on a number of occasions. They would not listen. He was patient in long-suffering till finally judgment had to prevail. He says they're ripe. The fruit is ripe. The time is now. And so judgment came to Israel. And he says, you must declare what will happen in that day. The temple songs will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. You see, even in their sense of coming in fellowship with God, this was their attitude. When will the new moon be over that we can sell grain and the Sabbath end that we can market our wheat, skimping the measure and boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales? In other words, they're saying, you know what, when is church going to get over? i got to get to my business and make some cash. When can I get through with this new moon, this festival, this season? Oh, Christmas is such a bother. I can't make as much cash as I need to make. Read my Bible. i got to get out there and make money. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and I'm going to get on top. Bless God. Hallelujah. I am favored. He said, it's no good. Basically, this was Israel to God. Please don't interrupt me while I'm ignoring you. And that's what Amos was doing. He was a nuisance. He was an interruption constantly. And Israel would not listen. Israel would not listen. Now, we can compare this to our nation as well and understand it. But I have to tell you, we have to be very careful to not think that America is uh, in the same relationship that Israel was to God. Israel was God's chosen elect and uh, a theocracy. America is a nation of secular pagan people. Though it was founded on Christian principles and biblical principles, uh, you're not saved because you're American. All right? We're just another nation. Though we've tried to establish this nation on biblical principles, the people of the nation themselves may not be saved or biblical. But we understand and discern that these are the best principles for life and a healthy nation. And so we preach them and teach them and establish this nation. That's how this nation, who who within over just a couple hundred years, could be a superpower in the world. Because we followed biblical principles. But this is not a theocracy. 
It's a secular society, though it will be judged according to how it has treated people, as every nation will be determined and judged by God. But this is not a theocracy, and Americans are not God's people. Christians are. Do you get the difference? Just because you live in America. Now, see, if you go overseas... We send teams in different places many times, and and when you go overseas to other places and they find out you're American, they think you're a Christian. And that ain't necessarily so. Muslim countries look at the United States, who claims to be a Christian nation, they see the perversion and the degradation, and they say, hmm, you Christians are bankrupt and corrupt morally. And of course, Christians say, that ain't so, that's not us. (laughs) Just because we're American doesn't mean we're Christians. We are Christians because we love Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? Nations look at America because we're founded on Christian principles and think everybody's a Christian, and that's not the case. I just want to make that differentiation, all right? Because we can preach to America and say, get right, because God is going to judge the nation. But it's not because you're his people, it's because of all the foul and evilness that you're doing and you're not listening to the corrective word of God. Are you following me? Okay. And so we need to understand that our nation, once founded on Christian principles, once trying to walk as secular people according to a sacred rule, were behaving themselves and living somewhat. It depends on which group you ask in America, right? White Americans celebrate, rah, 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 hallelujah, thank God, let's go back to the old days. African American uh, folks in America say, I don't want to go back there. No, thank you. You say, hallelujah, Christian nation, I don't think so. But there was a hope and a vision for America that we're still trying to reach, and I believe we can still get there. We can improve along the way, and what was essentially here in the Bible, we can try and find our way to get through. And we've made many mistakes as Americans, but Christians need to stand up and say, this is the way we treat brothers and sisters. And we need to go to that place of what the American dream was. Can I tell you the American dream? We've perverted it into thinking that it's uh, uh, with the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we think that means monetary gain and finance. There's more to life than that. There's more to liberty than that. And there's more to happiness than that. There's a lot of rich people who are really unhappy. The American dream was living out a peaceable life according to Scripture and under God's rule, and that will bring a holiness to a nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah. And so we need to understand that. But here we're talking about Israel, God's own people, as He would be talking to the church. And so let me bring it off of America now to the church because that's what needs to correlate here. And I want you to know something of what God said in verse 11. Look at verse 11. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And that is the famine that God is sending to Israel. 
you will not hear the words of the Lord. Well, wait a minute. I thought they already didn't pay attention to the Lord. I thought they already weren't listening to the Word of God. I thought they weren't following Scripture. You have to understand the principle of this famine. It's not that they weren't paying attention to God. It's basically God not paying attention to them. Who wants to be in that position? In other words, God's saying to them, talk to the hand. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Listen to what God says. This is amazing. And he says, I will never forget anything they have done. How many of you want that? I want God to forget a lot of things that I have done. Please. Thank God for the blood of Jesus to cover that multitude of sins and so that it will go into the lake in the depths of forgetfulness. And he said, I will put your sin between my shoulder blades. You ever had a, ever had a scratch back there? You can't get to it. You can't see it. And he's giving word pictures. He said, I'll put your sin in the depths of the ocean. I'll put your sin between my back. And he said, I'll separate you from your sin as far as east is from the west. They shall not touch or meet again. But to Israel, who would not hearken him, who would not hear him, and in fact illustrated the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he said, I will not speak to you again, and I will not forget what you have done. That's judgment. The famine... Listen and consider what a famine from God is. A famine from God is that you will get no more revelation. You're on your own now. You try and figure it out. No illumination and no wisdom or knowledge from God. That's what he was saying. No communion with me. No refreshing from me. No more promises of a future. Last of all, he says, I'm done with you. Uh, There's a perfect illustration of this with King Saul. How many of you remember him? He refused to listen to the prophet who told him to wait for him before he offered sacrifice. Saul wouldn't wait. Saul did what Saul wanted to do, wasn't obedient to the word of God. God's hand was on him, and, and he sacrificed instead of obeyed. And Samuel said, it is better to obey than sacrifice. And we're back to the religious things. It is better to obey God than give your 10% of tithe. It is better to obey God than to, obey, than to uh, uh, attend every church service. Come on, fill in the blank. Think of some religious things we all do to make ourselves feel better and closer to God. But obey walking in His Spirit daily. I mean, disobey walking in His Spirit, right? Right? I mean, that's the difference. To obey is better than sacrifice. Disobedience is the sin of witchcraft. And He's saying, I'm going to turn you over to yourselves, and eventually they'll just become those who practice witchcraft, like Saul. He couldn't, and if you'll see this verse in 1 Samuel 28, 6, Yahweh did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Some of you might be wondering what Urim is. Uh, I was going to make a joke, but I'll leave it alone. (laughs) The Urim and Thummim 
are the stones that the high priest had within his ephod, within his garments. They were two stones, the Urim and the Thummim, that he would pull out, and when the high priest would go to the Lord to ask for direction for the nation, he would bring the Urim and the Thummim, and God would speak to him as to a yes or a no in the decisions and the directives of the nation. God would no longer speak to Saul through that process. He would no longer speak to him in dreams and in visions. He would no longer speak to him in prophecies or have prophets communicate to him. In other words, talk to the hand, I'm done. And we know what happened to Saul. He went mad. And his reign was over, and that was it. And that's what he said was going to happen in Israel. A famine in hearing the word of the Lord. Now, there are those who say this nation is headed for that and that we as a people in this generation are headed for a time when there will be a famine from hearing the words of the Lord. And I have to tell you this morning, I absolutely disagree. That cannot happen. It will not happen. Because what people are typically thinking of when there'll be a famine in the land is what they're thinking of is that people will no longer want the Word of God. That's different than God saying, there will be a famine from my words. That's a self-imposed neglect. But God cannot and will not bring a famine of His presence uh, because, can I tell you, God is not silent. He cannot be silent. He will not be silent. There is no famine in the land to the Word of God. There are people who are ignoring it and rejecting it. But let me give you an understanding. If God does not communicate with His church, He does not communicate with His Son. You get it? For God to say to His church, there's going to be a famine and I will refuse to speak to my church, means He will stop speaking to His Son. Because who are we in? Christ, His Son. And John 17 says, Father, make them one as we are one, that we all may be one. For God to deny communicating to His church is in fact to deny communicating to His own body, His own people. He will not do that. There will never be a famine in the land. He won't do it. Now, if the church does not communicate to God, that's another story. Basically, if the church will not communicate to God and we say talk to the hand, the church will become irrelevant. And that is where Israel was, where they became irrelevant in a representation of God on earth. They were no longer the light of all the nations, the salt to the earth, because what they represented was witchcraft and rebellion. Now, the church must communicate with God. What we have to say to the church is, woe unto us if we stop communicating with God. But pastor, we have seminars, we have have praise rallies, we have wonderful events, events, and events. And we're good at events and programs. And we all come to them and we hoot and we holler and we sing and we dance, just like Israel did. But are we in the right heart and right place? Could we all be quiet for a bit and see what he's got to say? But that's hard for Pentecostals. You can't get Pentecostals to be quiet. 
How many of you ever noticed that? Get a bunch of Pentecostals in the room and it's like, hallelujah, praise God, amen. Then it gets quiet for a minute and someone gets nervous and they go, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, praise God. We can't sit still. We've got to say something. Somebody's got to pray. Somebody's got to prophesy. Somebody's got to do this. Somebody's got to... I'm just, you know, elaborating a little bit. And I, but I, I, what I want to do is encourage you that God is not silent and He will not be silent and God will correct His people and He will direct His church. And if we get off, He will come and He will rebuke. He will discipline. He will guide us. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. What we have to watch out for is ignorance. Where we stop listening. That's what we've got to watch. This is different than Israel. We've got to stop. Now, I was uh, uh, meditating on this, on ignorance, the word. And uh, I broke it apart, and what I realized was this. Ignorance. There's ignorance of not knowing something, but for the most part, there's ignorance. And I found that really that was the issue. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, but what kind of ignorance? Not that they don't know, but that because you have rejected knowledge. That's ignorance. To ignore something so much, it's an ignorance. We can't do that. This is the day and the hour when the people of God have to listen. There is not a famine in the land of God's Word. There is not a famine of God communicating. God wants to pour out and speak and let His church know. He said, I don't call you slaves, I call you friends. Because a slave doesn't know what his master's doing, but you will know what I'm doing. There is no famine of the Word of God. There is no lack. There's nothing lacking in the church. It's here for us from God. We just can't be ignorant of what God is saying. Amen? Would you agree with me? Ignorant means this. You see, there's no famine here. If we took a poll, how many of you, I've got seven Bibles in my office. How many of you have Bibles? Anybody got a Bible? If you don't have a Bible here this morning, I will give you a Bible. See me after this service. I want you to have a Bible. How many of you have more than one Bible? Sure. So there's not a famine in the land. Would you agree with me? There is no famine. How many of you know that there's Christian radio? Anybody know that? There's Christian TV. Why, there's Christian clothing and Christian jewelry. There is no famine in the land of hearing the Word of God. How many of you know that? How many of you have noticed? I've been picking up on this. Now, I know that uh, it seems uh, that there is a diminishing of Christianity in the United States, but I've been noticing lately, wherever I go, I'm hearing people talk about God everywhere. I'm overhearing it. And I, you, are you a believer? Yeah. Oh, praise God. How are you doing? I, I think there's just a boldness erupting out of people that we're beginning to talk more and proclaim more wherever we're at. Keep it up. Keep it up. And so I want to tell you, there's no famine in the land, only ignoring what is there. And you as a people I'm encouraged you're here. You don't want to be ignorant about the things of God, do you? So we're not going to ignore them. Let me give you just a few scriptures to finish up with. 
You see, there is no famine in the land, first of all, because God said this in Hebrews 1.1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. He's still talking. He rose from the dead. He's rise from the grave. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And all speech comes from God through the Son. Jesus ain't dead. He's talking. Amen? Are you listening? He says, my sheep hear my voice. There's no famine in the land of God's word. God is speaking. Jesus is speaking over this nation. He's speaking over this people. He's speaking over this church. He's speaking over your household. He's speaking into your heart by the presence of his Holy Spirit. God's talking. Thank God for that. Amen? Amen. John 14, 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. There is no famine for the church. Let's not ignore it. There is a feast, in fact, that the Spirit wants to communicate to you 24-7. As much as you breathe, the Spirit is speaking. He's groaning and interceding for us when we don't know what to pray for, don't know how to pray, when we're powerless, He's there and filling in the gaps. When we are daydreaming, He's there to fill in the gaps. He's there to speak to us at all times. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll put words in our mouth and help us to say what we need to say. He will do this constantly forever. There is no famine. I thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and His resurrection for there will never be a famine of the Word of God to His people again. Never. With that, we can change a nation. Last of all, 2 Corinthians 1.20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Wow. There's no famine in the land. In fact, he says, there's a feast for the church. In my word. He says, could you do me a favor? I'm paraphrasing now. Could you, could you do me a favor? That Bible you have, could you begin at the beginning and write down every promise I have ever made? Because every promise I have ever made to Israel and to my people, the patriarchs and the prophets and the kings and the priests, they're yes in Christ Jesus. In other words, they are fulfilled because the blood of Jesus satisfied the holiness and judgment of God. Therefore, all the promises that were downloaded into this system in a zip file, Jesus was the code to unlock them all. And they are available to us. All, all you have to do, church, he says, there's no famine in the land. All you have to do is have your meal ticket. you know what it is? It's amen. Does anybody know what amen means? So be it. He said, look at the inheritances here. I wrote the will and testament. Jesus died to enact the will and testament. The Holy Spirit is the executor of that will. Now I just need people to enforce it. Will someone take this will and begin to speak it into the earth? So be it. So be it. So be it. Devil, get out of that place. The Lord has brought favor and deliverance. You, get out. I speak by the authority of the Lord. So be it. 
There's no famine in the land for the church. There is no lack for the church. We are fully equipped, fully able, and God is backing us up 100%. Amen? Oh, I feel bad for Israel. They were scattered and lost. But God did an opposite thing. He came to the Gentiles, to the, to the nations, and He said to the nations, I'm putting My Spirit in you, and I'm sending you to all the nations. I'm scattering you, not so you'll get lost, but so that you'll find everybody and get them saved. You in agreement? That means so be it. That means so be it. So we look at Amos, and remember we're studying it so that we will be in the spirit of Amos. And what we see in this spirit as the saddest day of Israel's history, as they're scattered throughout the world, we see something that is very opposite in Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet that ever lived, the Son of God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us, came and said, I will never, you will never have a famine in my people again. And you will go into all nations being a light. And you will reach the lost. And you will declare every promise my Father has ever made so that job can be accomplished. Let us not be ignorant. Let us not ignore these promises, this commission, this purpose, and this will. Let us not ignore the famine, I'm sorry, the feast that is set before us. Wouldn't it be sad to have a table set and people starving of hunger. It makes no sense. Yet there are many in the church who have been eating popsicles and eclairs and donuts and having belly aches continually. They need a diet of God's holy word. Amen? Let's not be ignorant. But let us know that we can eat and feast the Word of God that dwells in us by His Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's get hungry for God.